guys, we're about to hear the word of the Lord. What a gift that is. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. If you were here when we first started, we did a little check-in. Go ahead and close your eyes. Just check in on where your body is now. Have your emotions changed since singing praises to God? Has anything shifted? God, would you soften our hearts and open up our ears to hear your word? Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. There is a scene in the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures uh, that raises a lot of questions for us. It is uh, uh, the moment in, in Genesis where deception and temptation enter paradise. Adam and Eve are, are living in a world teeming with beauty, uh, walking with God, united in, in love, doing doing good work, and yet questions come. Uh, questions come to them, uh, did God really say this? Uh, what could God have meant? What do you really want from life? Um, do you want everything that could be yours from this life? And this story, we could call it uh, the temptation uh, in innocence. Uh, it's this first example in the, in the human story. Uh, to, an offer is made to, to choose uh, you know, our own way, to, to go against God's word, his instructions, but also God's character, God, God's, God's way. And we know, we know the results. They follow this, this path of temptation and deception. And then we see the devastation of the fall rippling out from that story. It's one of the, the things that um, it's helpful to try and difficult to do to plunge our imagination into that moment. Can you imagine having never felt fear 
and then feeling it for the first time, never having felt insecurity or jealousy. And right, and the, and the sort of the ripples of the story follow out from there. By the, the, the very next chapter, we have literally murder in their immediate family taking place. So the stakes get ramped up. And if you've been around TGC for a while, we, we talk sometimes about four relationships. Um, you know, there are other ways to describe it, but God, self, others, world. And this, we see devastation ripple across the human story at every level. There's disconnection and brokenness in our relationship with God. That impacts the understanding we have of our own identity, how we live uh, in the world, how we, how, how we think of, of ourselves, those cycles of shame and guilt that we fall into. Uh, but then it, relate, it, it impacts our relationships with others. We have, we have jealousy and, and, and backbiting and, and literally all the way up to, to war. Um, and our world, our society, our, our, our work, devastation from the fall ripples across all of these relationships. And when you go back into that story in the beginning of Genesis, there's a couple of very interesting descriptions. Um, And one is of the categories of desire that gets sparked up in the temptation. Like what is it, what is actually the allure of the temptation in in that story? And there's there's a moment where it says Eve saw the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable to make one wise. So there's something more going on than just like, I need a snack. This looks like a good one. I know that I'm not supposed to eat from this tree, but it's super convenient. It's here. Like this is, there's something going on besides just like what's simply the immediate longing of appetite. Good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable to make one wise. All right, there's another scene. We're going to skip ahead quite a bit. Um, that is, occurs in the journey of Israel as they're going from slavery in Egypt to, uh, to, the, to the promised land. And it seems like uh, the scene that I'm about to reference, it seems like it, has hap- it happens twice um, and, and with a slight difference the second time. And yet the implications of the scene are vast and they're referenced over and over again throughout the rest of the scripture. And one of those references came this week in the morning Psalms. So I don't know what... Uh, way you, you choose to approach the scriptures. If you're on a, like, read the Bible in a year plan, or um, I read the daily lectionary from the Book of Common Prayer, which is, gives you uh, the Psalms and uh, Old Testament, New Testament, but whatever. It, this showed up in my, in my reading plan. And uh, the, the morning psalm was Psalm 95, and I, and I clocked it in my head because um, <laughs> I was like, we've already had this psalm in Lent, like Lent just started, and this is the second time we're getting Psalm 95, and I know there's 150 Psalms, so they don't have to repeat. Why are they repeating what's going on here? So I got curious, and I looked, and every Friday, Psalm 95 comes up. What's going on? Book of Common Prayer, people. So here's what Psalm 95 says. Today... If only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a Lent theme. I get it. It's like repent, hear God's voice, come back to him. Do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah. And I was like, Meribah, not sure I remember that. As you did in that day at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, they tried me though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Every Friday in Lent, this is what we're gonna get? 
So what happened? What happened at Meribah? What happened at Massah? What, what, what is the story? Those words literally mean testing and quarreling. Israel got into an argument with their God. And we need to go back and remember the context just a little bit if you're, if you're not super familiar. But Israel has been dramatically rescued at this point by Yahweh. They're coming to learn God's name, I am. Um, they, 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 their God has confronted the, the might of the Egyptian empire, the strongest empire in the world. Also the panoply of, of, of Egyptian gods one by one. They've been brought out. They've been spared death in the Passover and they've been brought through the waters, through the Red Sea. But as they walked in the wilderness, they were confronted with needs in their life. Confronted with needs in their life, in their community that were not being met as they would have hoped or chosen. And they began to grumble. They were lacking water. And you could call this, if the first scene was a temptation in innocence, you could call this a temptation in the middle of redemption. They've been brought out from slavery in Egypt. They're being brought to a place of promise. So God's with them. God's, God's rescuing them. And yet there's still grumbling going on. There's still questions about how are the real needs of my life, my body, my soul going to be met? And, and Maybe you're not doing this at all, but before you, you distance yourself from them or write, you know, write off something about what's going on, we need to acknowledge that they're in a desert region. And what are they asking for? Water. Like pretty substantially important. Like not, not, not a terrible thing uh, to ask for. But something about the way they went about seeking to meet this, this true need in their life was unfaithful to who they had come to know God to be. So the story says they complain and Moses prays and God gives instruction and then uh, strike the rock with the rod and the water comes from the rock. And, and later something, something similar happens. Basically the, the, God brings them back to the same exact place to see if anything's changed and nothing has. And they complain again, this time more urgently. It's not just us, it's all of our livestock, all the stuff that we've collected along the way. And, 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 and Moses gets so frustrated that he strikes the rock twice and then he gets this... I feel like a devastating punishment. He doesn't get to go into the promised land after that. What's going on? God is frustrated, it, it seems, that they refuse to trust his provision, that he can actually meet these needs. And this shows up in the story with water. It shows up with bread. It shows up with a need for guidance, a need for protection against enemies, a need for uh, presence in the midst of, of resistance to difficulty. Read, read the story. An entire generation misses out on what God intended to give them. They're kept from going into the promised land. All through the human story is this struggle to, to, to see the needs of our, life, our lives met. How, how are we going to go about getting these needs Matt, this is a, a big part of, 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 of how our lives end up playing out. Another scene, the scene from the text we read this morning, just, just a moment ago, is, is has Jesus going out into the wilderness. So this should be ringing a couple of bells in our mind if you're familiar with the larger story. And if you're not, we just went over it a little bit in review, so it's ringing bells for us at this point. It says in Matthew 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So we're remembering the context. We just heard last week 
that Jesus has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit fell on Jesus at his baptism right before this. There was a a declaration of his identity, an affirmation from his heavenly father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And now that same spirit is leading him to a place where there will be a confrontation. And the confrontation will be around. How is Jesus going to get the deep needs of his life met? familiar story. The Spirit doesn't tempt Jesus, but the Spirit does lead Jesus into this confrontation. He's going to face temptation from the same source of temptation that we see showing up in the, in the beginning, the Hebrew poetry in Genesis in, in the very beginning. He's going to face similar temptation that Israel faced in the wilderness. He's just, he's just passed through the waters <laughs> Now he's in the wilderness, he's hungry, he's, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. Whatever Jesus is doing in this story, it is connected to primary threads of the whole story that God is telling in the world. And that's nice, okay, cool observation, man with microphone. Um, but... I want to bring this down into our everyday experience as well. We've seen temptation in innocence, temptation in redemption, but how about your temptation in everyday life? How do you go about trying to get the deep needs of your life met? I was thinking, you know, like, if you guys are familiar with, uh, C.S. Lewis has this book, The Screwtape Letters, and it's like uh, one, a junior demon uh, being mentored by a senior demon, and they're writing about how to tempt human beings. And it's this wild, like, uh, you know, fantastical, like, uh, imaginative journey, but it's like deeply psychological and spiritual, and people came to Lewis afterward, and they're like, how do you know so much about what the demons are up to? And he's like, I, I don't. Like, I just looked at my own heart, and I wrote about the stuff I wrestle with. So as I talk about how do you get the deep needs of your life, no way, I'm right in this, in this moment with you. Like what about the longing in my heart to get back at someone who's hurt me? That temptation is powerful. The urge, right? Pornography is so prevalent. The misuse of our sexuality is so prevalent. The urge to use someone else's body or an image of their body to meet our sexual desires without a care for their soul, without a care for their life. What about the lens where we see the world mostly through our own comfort, our own entertainment is the center place of the story or or this um, sinking in and nurturing and following our fears, fueling them to the point where we're utterly inside ourselves, where we're we're constantly uh, allowing things in that fuel our, our fear and anxiety. How about using anger to control situations or to control people at home, at work? The thought to give up on the commitments that we've made, even though we, we believe in them and we want, want to follow through. The seemingly simple invitation that comes, right? I deserve this, this whatever, this night of indulgence, and we use food or drink or a Netflix binge to turn down the volume on what we're feeling in our life. And obviously the scriptures aren't against rest or taking breaks, but when we start to use these things to cover up our pain, it's it's. it's It's part of that temptation cycle of trying to meet the deep needs of our life out of our own or out of the world's resources. Using the power we have in the world to put someone else down or hold them back or to lift ourselves up at their expense. How about when we meticulously care for a grudge? 
those times in your life when you've been determined not to let someone back into your life, not to forgive them, using all of our money on ourselves, um, protecting ourselves in, 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 in all sorts of ways from caring about our neighbors. And we have a very reasonable list of, of, of reasons why we just can't at this point, why it wouldn't be prudent. How about that we try everything on our own strength before we pray? Right, we, I think we could probably go on listing temptations and the way we engage in them for, for the rest of the day. And I don't mention any of them to pile up guilt or shame, but to say from my, from my own heart, like, uh, let me truly see what, what, what I'm talking about here. How am I seeking to meet the deep needs of my, of my life in my own way, out of my own resources or the resources of the world without taking God into account? The temptation, as we say in the confession week to week, the temptation to sin in what we do or what we leave undone, what we refuse to do, what we leave incomplete, the temptation to be our own gods. I've said it already several times, to meet the deep needs of our life out of our own or the world's resources without God. Last week we talked briefly about this, uh, this sort of framework of thinking about it. it does, it's a tool that helps us, but it doesn't, help, it, it doesn't uh, encompass everything. But every one of us were born with at least this. You have a body and you have a soul. And your body takes in information in the world through your five senses. These are your receptors by which you perceive the world. And then your soul uh, is your mind, your thinking, your consciousness, your, your volition, your ability to make choices and your emotional reaction. And so throughout your entire life, you're taking in information in your body, processing it in your mind, making decisions and having emotional reaction. Uh, you can't see it for, for the microphones probably, but this influences your preferences, your personality, your habits, the way you live. And everyone does this. And the Bible calls this the flesh. So it's not just like utterly negative that everything that happens in the system is not bad but it's our way of doing life without necessarily taking God into account and so when the spirit comes into our our life uh, something profoundly new begins there is a way that we are made alive by the spirit it's why the language of Christian salvation is so dramatic if anyone is in Christ they become a new creation what on earth does that mean they are born again is that that's so what what on earth that the spirit makes us alive and then there is a way that we're now living in union with God by his spirit that is in us. And how does the spirit speak and communicate to us? What is, what is like the spirit's fuel in our lives? What does it mean to live a life by the indwelling spirit of God? We talked last week very briefly about places, the, 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 the scriptures and, and, and Christian experience tells us that the spirit is at work in the scriptures, in worship, in prayer, in community. Well, we're trying to, to live the Jesus way. We're not trying to do that just out of our, we're not trying to resist those, those lists of temptations I just went through by our own strength, by ramping up our, our initiative, our inspiration, our commitment. We have seen over and over again that that will wane, that will fail. We're trying to learn to live by the Spirit. Because actually, if you learn to put, put, put down or put away the temptation of the old life, the life of the flesh, just by willpower, you get a whole other other set of problems which is religious pride you're like look what I did and look what you guys didn't when you learn to live by the spirit it is a life of worship it is a life of communion it is it is truly the freest most alive most creative most full in the words of Jesus the abundant life it's the life of the spirit so 
I want us as we approach these three temptations of Jesus to to be trying to see what the way of the Spirit is in this temptation. What is the way, what does the way of Jesus look like? And how can you bring something from that back into the real temptations that you're gonna face on Wednesday morning or on Thursday or on whatever, like as you move through your life? What are and I, I say this all the time, but don't forget, no one can hear your thoughts. So you can be as honest as you want to be in your own brain about what you're really wrestling with in life and no one's gonna hear. So let's go there together even as we look at these temptations that Jesus faces. So there's three of them. The first, the tempter came to him and said, if you, are, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So right away, As the temptations begin, there's a challenge to Jesus' identity. And we're not going to forget that the baptism of Jesus just happened. And what did the Father say? You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The temptation begins with a challenge to his true identity. Are you really who God says you are? This, there's an echo all the way back to the first temptation. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Is there something God might be keeping from you? And I'm gonna t- I-, I wanna promise you, <laughs> this is a challenge to your true identity is gonna show up in your temptations as well. So the enemy is playing on his identity. The enemy is also playing on the story that he's living in. This is the kind of thing that's been done before. People in the wilderness need water. People in the wilderness need, need bread. Turn these stones into bread. You've been fasting for 40 days. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. Challenge to his identity, challenge to the story that he's living in, but also, hello, legitimate need. You need to eat, pal. You're not gonna make it. You are looking thin. The temptation is essentially to take or to wrestle control from the Father's way. It's to take a shortcut. It's to meet the need in a different way. It's not to say that the need doesn't need to be met. It does. Jesus does need to eat. The enemy knows that. But it's a temptation to go his own way, out of his own resources, out of his own story, instead of out of the identity the Father has given to him to and the mission the, the Father has called him to live in this life of love. So it's a question of provision, absolutely. It's a question of provision that plays on appetite. And so we think about this category of temptation, all the physical appetites of our life is a space we're going to experience an invitation to meet those needs out of our own resources, out of the story of the world, those real needs of your body that you can't ignore. It's, it's going to challenge who you are and who you're going to be. We start in, the, in this type of temptation to ask, will I have what I need? Let's not rush past the, the, the trembling honesty of that question. Will I have what I need? Will I have enough? And we might even get to, will I have what I want? Right? We're the most marketed to generation in human history. <laughs> All day long, you're being lied to about what a product can do for you. But the question behind it is, are you going to have enough? Jesus faced temptation here, and so will you. 
So we're gonna see this as a pattern, right? How does Jesus respond? He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he responds right from the story, right from the the moment in Deuteronomy where Israel's walking in the wilderness, right? Right in this moment of, of, of deep need. And he says, man should not live, we should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we're learning to live by God's word, by God's character, by God's way. That's the first temptation. Second, you guys are doing great, by the way. You're tracking. It's, it's, I'm very proud of us. Um, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, Second temptation. We aren't given the exact mechanics of how this happened. It's a little bit like a movie trick or something. They're there in the wilderness and like turn the stones in the bread. Next thing you know, they're standing on top of the temple. What is this? Is this some sort of hunger-induced vision going on? Like, how did they get there? I don't know exactly. We aren't given that story. But some way in this temptation, it is possible that Jesus experienced um, being brought to this place. So he goes to this very high, very public place, right at the center of Israel's community life, national identity, and worship. And the enemy says again, if, if, I I just want to say this, this is just, this is free, this is not in the outline. When God introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am, I am fully and forever present, that is I am. When the enemy comes to us so often, the first words on the, on, the, on the voice of the enemy is, what if, this world is a contest between that what if of the enemy and the I am of Yahweh. And, and it plays out in our temptations. It plays out in these places of primary need, longing in our body, longing in our soul. The what if and the I am. So the enemy comes to him again. If you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down, right? Let's just get right to the point. Let everybody see that you're the one who's come, that you're the one who's anointed. Yeah, we all just heard you're the beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Throw yourself down because the word says that angels will protect God's anointed. You won't be hurt and then everyone will know. So essentially, here's a shortcut. The enemy's after, again, his identity, after the story he's living in. And now we, we notice he even says, okay, you use the word of God to resist temptation, number one. Let me give you a little taste of, of your own medicine. And the enemy gives him the word of God. The, the, the tempter quotes Psalm 91. We don't even have time to get into this, but I, I just want to say very quickly that Scripture when it is divorced from its context, when we don't have the help of the Holy Spirit, and when that scripture is used for power and manipulation, it is wildly dangerous. When it's divorced from its context, when there is not the help of the Holy Spirit, and when it is used for manipulation, the Bible can be a really dangerous tool. And we've seen this historically over and over again. In America, expressions of America, uh, expressions of faith in America under the label Christian have a terrible track record of this. 
ripping scripture out of context, not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and using the words of the Bible for power and manipulation, right? Slavery, segregation, and a whole list of things in our culture, right? So we have to become those who handle the word of God with, with wisdom, with honoring the story, with honoring the context. With, with, we read in humility by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't use the text for, for power and manipulation for ourselves, but to lift up Jesus. And so so if you've been a part of a community where that has happened, I just want to say I am sorry. And, and I'm not saying we're beyond Trinity Grace making those types of mistakes, but I want you to know, let's call one another out on that and let's, let's come back to the text and let's be a community that is going to use the word of God in, in an honest way of integrity. Because the enemy can quote the Bible to you out of context, divorced from the story, without the, the, the leaning of the spirit, and pile shame on you. I remember, oh, I remember this so clearly. Again, free. This isn't even in the outline, guys. This is just bonus material for you. Um, I remember I was coming back to faith in college, and I had grown up knowing the story. Like, I, I'd, I'd had real experiences. I believe I was actually truly a follower of Jesus, and I had just gone my own way for, like, three years. And I'd gotten into a bunch of stuff, substance abuse, and, and just, like, totally living utterly as selfishly as I could. I remember um, I was going to this, uh, <laughs> the only time I was paid for dancing in my life. I won't get into that, but I was in, I was, I was briefly in a uh, modern dance troupe, and we were traveling to one of our performances... Um, we'll talk about this later, um, but I was reading, just innocently reading in Hebrews, and I came across this passage where it was talking about, um, it was talking about, uh, Ishmael, no, Jacob's brother, who, who he tricks out of the inheritance, Esau, guys, of course it was Esau, relax, I got so into my dancing memory there that I forgot the Bible, um, so there's a story of Esau, and basically it says he wanted to repent, but he couldn't find a way. And I remember, I remember the enemy just leaping on me and saying, that's you. You'll never find your way back. You have gone too far. You no, you're one of those who knew too much, and now you've gone too far, and you're never going to find your way back to forgiveness. You're never going to be accepted by God, and the enemy just pounced on me. I'm reading the Bible. And I begin to be tremendously anxious that God is never going to forgive me. The enemy can use the word of God and twist it. And so we have to marry it to the story, marry it to the context, ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, do this in community with one another, and not use the word for manipulation. And so sometimes it's tone of voice. That how do I know if this is my thoughts or the leading of the Spirit? Sometimes it's just like, is there, is there urgency and fear wrapped up in it? That's how the enemy works. Urgency and fear. You better do this right now. You're never going to be enough. God sees who you really are, and he's pretty disappointed. Like, oh, that's, that's not the tone of the voice of the Spirit. Even when the Spirit convicts, he leads us forward in love. It is his, oh, we prayed this in the morning prayer before the service. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance, to change. So Jesus speaks the word back to the enemy. He says, it is also written. 
He says, actually, you use this passage to understand that passage. And that's something we need to do when we handle the Bible correctly. This passage informs. So you're over here proof texting so that you can use your power to manipulate. But actually, this passage here is the one that that sheds light on this entire story. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The enemy knows this is a shortcut way for Jesus to prove himself to many. If he demonstrates this grand display of who he is, he can get something that he's really going to need. He's going to need recognition. He's going to need acknowledgement that he is God's anointed, that he has come as Messiah. He's going to need that, and yet this isn't the way to get it. People will see who he really is, but not this way. The first was a a question of provision. This is a question of protection. And it's it's not just a a question of of physical protection, of protection of your story, protection of your ambition. Will you be recognized? Will God make sure that what is supposed to happen in my life actually happens? And I want you to hear again the trembling honesty in that question. Can God be trusted to make sure what is supposed to happen in my life really happens? Is what I am capable of going to be seen? Will it be appreciated? Will I reach my full potential, right? The the question that every child asks, and we keep asking, am I enough? Jesus faced temptation here, so will you. Number three, third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you, if you read through the examples of this story, uh, Luke has these temptations um, in, in a different order, but I, I prefer the order in Matthew here because it seems like there's a ramping up from the other two. There's a, there's a temptation around, you know, very obvious needs for provision and protection in the first temptations, and now we're to the question of worship. And so much of the story, so much in the scriptures and so much of our lives, whether we acknowledge it or not, hinges on what we worship. Even if you begin to think about that without using the Christian language or words, what essentially has your highest allegiance, has the most of your attention, has, has your primary affection, what do you submit to? These are all questions of worship. The thing that you can't say no to is something like your God. We know we need food. We know we need protection. But this temptation comes right out and says that all of this comes back to worship. What has your heart? What truly has your devotion? What are you bowing down to? And again, not the answer you would want to give, but what your actual life speaks. I promise you there is something there that has your deepest affection, attention, allegiance, the thing you can't say no to. That is getting near the thing you worship. And all of life hinges on what we worship because what we worship ends up shaping us. You become like the thing that you worship, that you submit to, that you give your time, attention, affection, and praise to. You become like that. It's one of the the ways our soul, mind, will, and emotion can be formed. Spiritual formation is a real thing, and it doesn't just happen for Christians. It happens for every single human being. You are formed, and an essential part of how you're formed is by what you give your allegiance, attention, affection, and devotion to, or what you worship. This final temptation is a question of power. What has the power? 
How will I be provided for? How will I be protected? And who has the power? <laughs> who deserves my submission? Who deserves my, my life? Who deserves my surrender? It is also, of course, a question of worship, of affection, attention, praise, submission. Submission, right? I don't even think the enemy was like, I need you to sing, sing a song to me and mean it. He says, bow down. Basically, like, let me see a visual representation of your submission. So you can be worshiping something, bowing down and submitted to it. And that doesn't mean that you're like tingling with delight at that thing. It may be that this workaholism has your, has your soul and you don't even like it, but you still worship it. Jesus once again responds from God's word from Israel's time in the wilderness. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The scripture seems to say this over and over again. If you can get right what you're worshiping, it's why it's the first command. It's why when Jesus summarized, summarizes, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will, will follow after. The, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you can get this thing right in the priority of your soul, the rest of, of life can flow from it in proper order. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So these temptations are real specific temptations that Jesus faces, and they are also archetypes. They're also examples that we face in the human story, the, the, the places where we are tempted. I'm going to take you back for just a moment to Genesis. Eve saw the fruit. The fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable to make one wise. If you trace through the scriptures, you'll see a summary come up a couple of times. Basically, the temptations we face as human beings, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, what we see, what we long for in our, in our appetites, in our story, the, 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 the pride of life. If you just take these temptations of Jesus that we just looked at, questions of provision, protection, power. A commentator, Russell Moore, who's written a book on Jesus' temptation called Tempted and Tried that was really helpful to me in the past years looking at this story. He calls these temptations, temptations of appetite, ambition, and approval. Whatever words resonate, you know, d d deepest for you, but essentially I want you to see there's a thread between our experience as human beings across the ages and the reality of these temptations, consumption, security, status. Across the, 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 the history of the Christian church, we've talked about three primary enemies, places of resistance to the way of Jesus in the world, the flesh, the world, and the devil, internal appetites, external systems of resistance, an actual accuser, a spiritual malignant force against your faith, against God and God's kingdom. How will the deep needs of your life be met? My guess is, and it's more than just a guess, is that you're going to face temptations along these places, questions of provision, protection, power, appetite, ambition, approval. Will I have enough? Will I be enough? What has my deepest affection, attention, worship? And there's two pr sort of essential primary ways that are being laid out for us. And, and we're not going to go as deep into this as we could, but I'll just say in summary that sin or an idol or a counterfeit God works along similar familiar patterns. Basically, in the beginning, in the beginning, a counterfeit God will ask you for very little and promise everything. 
just do this, just take this, just, just, just make this step and, and, and you'll get relief, you'll get this, you'll get this, uh, you'll be accepted, you'll, you'll, feel, you'll feel less afraid or, or whatever. So it asks you for little and promises everything. Do this because you deserve it. And then gradually, this counterfeit God gives less and less and costs more and more. It could have been like, you know, like workaholism doesn't begin that way. It begins with being diligent at the office and showing up and doing a little bit extra and maybe that's the, the right thing, but sl- slowly this thing begins to creep into the, the uh, motivation structures of your heart. And so it begins asking very little and promising everything. And then gradually a, a counterfeit God gives less and less and costs more and more. You see this play out in addiction until eventually the idol or false God or addiction asks for everything and gives nothing back. That's the pattern of a false God. God works differently. He begins with grace, right? None of you are like, I'd like to be born. I'd like to be born at this time of history to this family. Like, and maybe you're not happy with that choice. But anyway, like you, you show up and you have life. And then when you come to understand the gospel, you realize that everything necessary for your redemption, for your acceptance, for your forgiveness in God has already been done for you in the person of Jesus. So God begins giving life and redemption. But he tells you and I right up front, that it's going to require full surrender. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his, his cross. He must join me in dying to himself to live this new way. So right away, Jesus tells you that it's going to be surrender of your whole life, holding nothing back. And then he puts his life in us. He puts the spirit in us. But as we go, we keep discovering more and more that this is the true, full, eternal life and that we will never come to the end of it. And so actually what was revealed in seed form in the very beginning of our faith story grows and becomes something more, becomes something more until eventually it becomes like literally seeing God and experiencing God face to face in this age to come reality. So the law of diminishing returns versus the law of the, the seed and the growing tree of the kingdom. This is the two ways And Jesus shows us so practically here that knowing God's word with the help of the spirit is how we live by these promises that pull us into this story. So we're wrapping up. Guys okay? My wife just gave me the yeah, we better be face. Wow. I want to just invite you this morning, wherever you've come from, Uh, Maggie invited us to check in with what's really going on with us. And I want you to do that again. (laughs) Where are you really? And I want to invite you to bring whatever you find in your mind, in your heart, in your body. I want you to bring it to Jesus and trust the way of the Father. Because my guess is there are many shortcuts that are being offered to you. Jesus is our example. (laughs) But more than that, he is also our empowerment. He is with us. And he is our victory. Some of you closed your eyes because I said we were done and we are done. But open them up really quick um, because I want to show you how we're landing. Stop, Allison, with your face. My goodness. All right, super quick. We're going to just read this like, like... the Micro Machine Man, um, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 has a quote from Psalm 95. If you're interested in Lent every Friday, this psalm's going to be showing up. Um, Hebrews 4, therefore still it's... 
since it still remains for some to enter that rest, right, the, the place of promise, since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a, a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what I want to invite you to. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because right after this, it tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are, in every archetype, in every, in every category of temptation. He's been tempted in every way that we are, and yet he has not sinned. He is our example. He is our empowerment. He is our victory. Jesus has been through your temptations, and he's showing you the way to navigate them. The first is to hold on to your true identity and story. The second is to stop and recognize that it's a temptation. Sometimes you just need to call out a thought or a desire or a longing and recognize that it's not coming from God, from your true identity or from your best story. And you know, this is, even though I'm really feeling this, this is not from God. I need to stop and recognize it as a temptation. The scripture calls this taking your thoughts captive. And hanging on to them a little bit and saying, who are you and where did you come from? You don't belong here. No, no, no. I replace you with a promise from God, with my true identity. So hold on to your true identity and story. Stop and recognize temptation. We're also going to need to know God's word and promises. Second Peter 1 says it's by the promises of God you participate in God's nature. We're fasting and praying during Lent as a church. We're not giving up food to prove we love God. We already have God's love and, and affection, and, 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 but we're fasting to say we're hungry for you, God. And what we're gonna put in instead of food on Wednesdays from sunup to sundown is we're gonna put your word in. We're gonna listen to your spirit. So when the time of temptation comes, we have a chance to say it is written. It is written that the anger of a human being does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I bring the anger of my, of, of, of my soul into my parenting journey and try, and try to form my kids with my anger, it's not going to produce the thing I'm after. I, so I have to say to that temptation, it is written. And I have to remember the promises of God and participate in forgiveness, in patience, in kindness. What are you going to participate in? You're going to start to participate in the things that are the fruit of the Spirit. The results of the Spirit life in a human being. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Hold on to your true identity and story. Stop and recognize something as a temptation. Know God's word and promises and then ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for help in the moment from the Holy Spirit. Ask for help over text messages from a friend. Ask for help after we finish this very long sermon uh, at communion and prayer. Ask for help. Tell people, I'm wrestling with this pattern of thought. I'm wrestling with this pattern of behavior. My marriage is an absolute wreck. My work life is totally spilled over the banks. I'm having so much trouble parenting my kids with patience. I want to uh, uh, scratch their little heads. This is the way we fight temptation, the way of Jesus. We see him doing it. And the end of the story says the devil left him. Whew! And the angels came and attended him. God sent heavenly resources. 
And you know, every single thing the devil tempted him with is going to be his in his true inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Everything, so many of the things you and I are tempted with are small, busted versions of what God wants to give us in fullness. And we just got to know our identity, know our story, trust the promises of God and ask for help. In this life, you will face temptation, but you have a high priest who has faced the same temptation and come through and offering you victory. This is Jesus at the very beginning, choosing the way of the cross that he is going to continue in all the way to Good Friday and Easter, all the way through Lent, all the way through your life, all the way through eternity. Jesus has embraced the way of the cross to give us the victory of the resurrection. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I have felt all morning that you want to release the ministry of Jesus in this place, that you want to do a work of healing, work of freeing, work of reminding us of our true identity, God. I pray in the name of Jesus for someone who has absolutely been at war in their own head this week. God, we, we, we pray that you would speak truth and life and freedom. God, we know this, the stakes are high. Our world is at war again. God, we need a way through these temptations, through this resistance. I pray the ministry of Jesus would be alive and well in this space today. I, pl- I pray that we could pray for one another and, and take the meal together and worship together and, and live this spirit life in this, in this place. And I want to pray in particular for people who feel like they have just been absolutely trapped by something. That you would call them out, Lord. I had a picture before this service of someone taking even just the first step towards you and you running to them, throwing your arms open, embracing them, putting a robe on, a ring on their finger saying, I'm throwing a party that you've come home. I pray for that experience this morning. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in in how to walk into freedom, how to walk through temptation. In Jesus' name, amen.